knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. I know it was our first time meeting, first time ever talking, but I've been kind of like in love with Alan Murata since I've ever been born. And the, the number one show that we would ever watch was like Saltwater Experience. Me and my friend, we used to be like, he would be Rich Tudor, like I would be Tom <laughs> Rowland. Like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I'm so serious. And like, it's, it's amazing how much that shaped basically my whole life afterward. Yeah. That's really awesome, man. That's a great story. And what makes it even a better story is that you've uh, you've made this happen for yourself um, with Barstool Outdoors. So you want to be the outdoors guy? Is that am, am I understanding this correctly? I am your outdoors guy. Okay. This is Ben Freeman from Barstool Outdoors, and you're listening to the Tom Rowland Podcast. Ben, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? How are you? It's uh, it's honestly a huge honor to be talking to you. I know. Um, you got a lot of stuff going on, but just from my perspective, I, I know it was our first time meeting, first time ever talking, but as a kid in Missouri, like I, I grew up in St. Louis and like my whole family's like uh, been going down to the Keys since like the 70s and 80s. So I've I've been kind of like in love with Alan Murata since I've ever been born. And the, the number one show that we would ever watch was like Saltwater Experience. And like, I mean, I can't even tell you, I used to literally stop everything every weekend i think it was saturday mornings on um oln or versus i forgot saturday or sundays but like my grandpa and my dad would tape them for me i'd go over to their house to watch them and like me and my friend we used to be like he would be rich tutor like i would be tom (laughs) rolling like i'm not even kidding like i'm so serious and like it's it's amazing how much that shaped basically my whole life afterwards because we'd watch the show hawks k you guys sitting there talking and it, when it was at Worldwide too upstairs, like all yeah. that stuff, man, I've seen it all, and it's like it's like kind of mind bending to be talking to you right now. So I really appreciate that's, you having me. On. That's really awesome, man. That's a great story. And what makes it even a better story is that you've uh, you've made this happen for yourself um, with Barstool Outdoors. That's uh, how many years have you been doing that? Two two seasons. Crazy. Yeah. So this is our second season. It's just finishing up on uh, this Wednesday. I believe it's like uh, tomorrow, actually. Sorry, the 19th time's flying. But um, we've been working on it for probably three and a half, four years now, just as like kind of an idea or a brand, if you want to call it in within Barstool. And um, it's kind of crazy to see it come to fruition. I'm sure as you know, like the first time when you had your shows and stuff, it's like everybody's watched, you know, fishing shows growing up, everything. And I think 
everyone who who fishes is kind of like, man, that would be fun. But actually making a show is such a different experience. And like, obviously, you know, we're making something that's on YouTube and our website and all these things. I'm sure TV is even a whole nother set of tricks, but it's just the process of it all is like a crazy experience, you know? Yeah. Well, there's a ton of people that I've talked to and I've seen kind of go through this whole process of wanting a television show or a, a YouTube channel or whatever, whatever it is right now, some sort of production. That's their dream. And usually it doesn't happen. So what's the difference? How did you, how did you make it happen? What did, what did you do? I mean, I watched your, I watched your, your pilot, which was um, awesome and hilarious and uncomfortable (laughs) and (laughs) many other things, um, which I think is one of the, one of the biggest compliments that I could give you for what you're doing is, is like, you're pulling all that together. Like there's, it, there's sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's hilarious. Sometimes it's, it's, uh, adventurous. Sometimes you can't believe what you're seeing. Like, but anyway, let's get, we'll get to that in a minute, but let's get to, um, how you made it happen. Like from a kid in the pilot, it says that when you were a kid, you always wanted it. And then there's like clips of you being like, you know, pretending you had a TV show when you were like really young. Right. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. My Tom rolling impression. Like, there you go. The ones of me and as my friend on the dock and, uh, and I'm right. We literally sit there and we even were going to go to worldwide that we were like trying to see if they'd let us film up there. We're like, do we need to do it just like they did it? It was so funny, but basically, yeah, I mean, it kind of all started with just filming us fishing. Like I'm like, I'm like, this is how you make a TV. Like I would just tell my friend, I'm like, trust me, man, this is what we got to do. You just stay in there. I'm going to film you fishing. And then like, we'll edit it. And, um, kind of, you know, I'm not sure if you know, Skip Nielsen at all, but, um, from Alan Roddy, he's I a certainly know of him. Yeah. A certain legendary dude. Yeah. He's a guy that he's also done a lot of, like, he's been featured on a lot of shows. And like when, when I would grow up fishing with him, he would tell us the stories of him doing that. And I was like, Skip, how do we do it? You know? So like he, we were kind of like always poking around, messing around, making our own little home movies. And then as I kind of got older, I got into production as far as like, you know, like I worked as a PA at a company doing just commercials or random things. Cause I just wanted to know, I've always been obsessed with like capturing either experiences or like, like I'm obsessed with sharks and fish and everything. And I always have been like, how can I better capture what I think is so cool when I see like a lemon shark, you know, cruising on the flats. I'm like, that's the coolest thing my brain can imagine. How can I capture that and show like as many people as possible? So I got into like drones with the DJI fandom, like a pretty, not entry level, but you know, anyone can get it. And I started using that and I would, I bought like a GoPros and Osmos and you know, everything that you can kind of like, start making your own stuff. And as I was doing that, I realized, A, it's a lot harder than, you know, you might (laughs) think making a show. And like, then as I kind of got uh, working at production companies and places where you learn, okay, this is how you go from an idea and a script to like a finished product. I started getting closer. And then in 2016, I stopped working at the production company and was kind of looking to do like, my friend was making all this money doing drone, uh, real estate videos. And I'm like, I'm just going to do that. And whatever it was, I was kind of in a transitional phase. And some people in my life, you know, as you can imagine, are sometimes like, Hey, you got to get a real job as that, you know, I'm sure you've heard that before something. And it's like, I'm like, man, I don't, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be happy sitting in an office. So 
I was always a big fan of Barcelona sports. I thought, you know, Dave was hilarious. And I thought the whole thing was very funny. And like, I was like, man, they have hockey. They got, you know, football, basketball, they got people doing all these things, but they don't have someone that's doing fishing or outdoors or something like that. So I'm like, man, that's my favorite thing in the entire world at a place that I think I could fit in at as far as like, it's very free form open, you know, whatever. It's kind of like, do whatever you want. And I, I was actually fishing in St. Louis. I remember because you know, how some days when it's like so dead, you kind of drift off while you're sitting there and you're like, I remember I was poking this little grub. I'll never forget. It was bush wildlife in St. Louis. And I was like dancing it around these little like ledges on the thing. And I was like, just nothing was eating. It was like late in the year or something. And I remember I was like, I'm going to do Barcel outdoors. Like that was just the idea that popped in my head. And I called my friend who's a trout biologist in Idaho. And he was a Barcel fan too. We'd text about it. And I said, Hey dude, I'm like, we're going to work for Barcel and do like fishing and hunting stuff. <laughs> he was like, okay, man. Like he like laughed at me. I was like, no dude, trust me. And he didn't believe me. And it was like one of those things I always give him shit for now, but or sorry, I give him crap for now. But anyways, I pitched the idea to him and I went in with a, a wallaby, actually, like a cousin of a kangaroo. And I walked in the office because I knew oh, that. Wait, this is at Barstool? Yeah. So I knew that the the main guy, the Prez, Dave Portnoy, who's like, you know, big time now. He's like on TV all the time and he's like a huge, you know, figure on the Internet. But I just knew I'd been studying him because I was a fan of the website for so long. Like he respects like a show and any sort of like crazy antics so i was like i i tried to get a tiger but they wouldn't let me get it within 30 days and it was so much money like i thought you could rent a tiger so this is your idea this is how you decided you were going to sell your show to barstool you were going to get a tiger and go into the office unannounced well well no so i i made like a music video but that's how they like um kind of i got on their radar which is a whole nother story but like he followed me from that. So I started DMing him. Hey, can I get a, a meeting? I just want a meeting. Please let me, because I knew if I got in front of him, I could like really convey what my idea was. But on the internet, it's so hard. Like he's got, you know, bajillions of people reaching right. out to him. So I was like, finally, he said, next Tuesday works. And this was on a Friday afternoon. And I remember being like, next Tuesday is that three days or is that the next two? I was like going so crazy, but I was like, I got to just go. So I drove from St. Louis and I was on the phone the entire way. It was like 16 hours and they wouldn't let me get the tiger. The only one I could even try to get was like 10 grand. And I was like, that's just not an option. So I settled, I was, it was between a baby gator an armadillo and a wallaby. And I was like, I think a wallaby will have the best, like, I don't know. I just was like trying to do something crazy. So I walked in there and the week before this, I had flown down to Isle Mirada because I was like, I'm going to, I got to shoot a pilot. And that wasn't even, it never even went anywhere. But I was with this kid that I knew, same kind of thing. I was, I was roping people and I'm like, we're going to do this, whatever. And we fished with Skip for two days. It was like November and nothing was biting. We got like, you know, a seven foot lemon shark with not even that good footage. I was like, man, this is just not it. But I made like a minute trailer to show to him. So I kind of had like, I'm like, this is my show, like my proof of concept, my green hire me and just let me make fishing videos. So I basically went in with the wallaby and he was like, what is going on? You know, he's like, this is crazy. And then I showed him the video and he was like, so this is it. You just, you just made a minute long, you know, drone video of, of, of Florida and just like said Barcelona doors. And I was like, yeah, when you put it like that, I got to what I did. But 
So basically he was like, we'll hire you, but you're going to have to do other stuff first in the sense of I was making these like behind the scenes videos of Barcel and documentaries and, you know, stuff like that. Believe it or not, you can't just ask someone to fund you to fly around the globe to fish without even having any proof of concept. So that was something I learned and that was good for me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, it's like if they would have just let me do it, then it would have been a train wreck. So anyways, I did that. And while I was making these behind the scenes documentaries for Barcel, I was constantly going out on every night and weekend that I could and just filming what ended up being Barcel Outdoors, but it was very covert because I didn't want to, you know, when you have a job, they want you to be working on the job, not like your other projects. So it meant so much to me. So I was like, I cannot mess this up. I have to just do it only by the book on the weekends and free time. So I would take, you know, other friends of mine that filmed or even like, you know, friends and, and family members even, and they would film me and I would just be fishing or swimming with gators or like doing all these things. And finally I kind of built like a grassroots thing, like where I would make the Instagram and the Instagram grew from, I remember it was it like, it went from 13,000 to 30,000 one day, then it went to 50, then to a hundred. And like within Barstool, they would, it would start to get more recognition is like, Oh, this is like a real thing. Like you guys have 400,000 Instagram followers, whatever. I was like, yeah, I'm trying to like make you guys believe that I can do this. So finally, after it was 2016 in December when I got hired and it was July 2018 or no 2019 when the show finally came out and every single thing in between then we were working on editing it shooting it everything and I think it was like 2019 probably like April is when they kind of gave me the go-ahead to be like yeah make the show and put it out and you know we had filmed almost everything before then but that was kind of when it became real and then we just promoted it and like edited it every day. Like, I mean, I'm telling you, we sat with that thing for months and months and months trying to make it good. And like it, when it came to life, it was like, it, it was like as the kid who watched, you know, saltwater experience and everything, every single weekend, it's like, I can't even imagine a cooler feeling, hopefully like when my kids are born or something, but it's like, I don't even know that it was the coolest thing of all time. My brain was like, I didn't even know what to do next. I'm like, I think I just made like a fishing show. This is the coolest thing of all time. You know, it was, it was amazing. So well worth it. That's awesome, man. That's an awesome story. Um, tell me like, when, let's, let's rewind a little bit. Like when you go there and, and you've got this minute trailer and you've got a few minutes and you've got a, a wild koala bear in your lap or right. A koala, no, a wallaby. You've got a, wallaby, a wild wallaby, wallaby yeah. in your lap and you're dressed, I mean, I saw the video, you're like dressed like a safari man. And, uh, so yes. you've got, you've got this, this person's attention and you know, it's a very fleeting moment. And he says, so what's the concept? What did you pitch him? I basically told him, first of all, I was like, I, I think the, the number one thing I was trying to stress was like, a, that I wasn't crazy. I was like, <laughs> I'm crazy, but in a good way. I'm like, I, I'm not like psycho. So like, I want him to know I, when you hire someone, you have to know that they're going to like actually work and be reliable. So you can't have just a psychopath. So I was trying to be like coherent, but also really stress the point that I was like, you guys have this platform that you're currently not monetizing at all with, you know, the outdoor space. And there's such, you know, I mean, it's like, it's such an enormous market, but it's like, because it's not 
the NFL or, you know, NBA, people may not recognize it as as big of a moneymaker if you're like a sports company. Cause you're like, Oh, you know, like we'll just focus on the things that are on ESPN TV every day. Like, but you know, bass fishing and, and even just like hunting and fishing together is like, I have to go back and read the numbers, but it's one of the biggest markets of any recreational right. thing in the entire world. So I was really just trying to tell him, Hey, you guys have this space that you could be in with fans that you currently are just leaving on the table. Let me go try to capture, you know, like people who listen to your podcast may not have heard of Barstool before. It's like, right. that's something that right now I'm like, man, if I can get these people to at least know what we do, that's growth. You know, like it's, it's so much harder to grow in NFL space and football where everything's so saturated. If Barcel is like not even in a market, I'm like, let me just go run amok and try to get new fans and do these things. And I think it'll be really cool. I was like, everybody loves animals and loves nature. Let me just go make stuff for you and show Barcel fans interesting, original stuff. And like, I was, I think that was my main point was like, let, I think that this is a market that we can grow in, you know? Cause I mm-hmm. think like business owners that you can't really go wrong with that. Right. Like if someone told me, Hey, I can get you more viewers or fans from a market you're not going, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like who's going to say no to that? You know? Right. So it's interesting now, um, this risk maybe that they took a little bit kind of in the outdoors and with you seems to have paid off because of COVID for one thing, there are no uh, all the all the other sports that we were talking about, there was no basketball or football. There might not even be any football this this fall. Um, are, are they happy with with that um, investment of, in time and energy and financially? Yeah, and I, I, the other thing too, I remember when you're talking about my pitch, I remember telling them too because I just knew also it's like I needed the opportunity and the platform more than I needed anything else. I was like, I will work for nothing. Like I honestly was like, I don't even need money. I'll like do something else because that platform is the most valuable thing in the world. Like to get on TV, like you did, it's like, it's very hard. I'm like, I need something where I can get people to watch this stuff because I was making fishing videos for forever and nobody cares. It's extremely hard because there's a lot of good fishermen and there's a lot of cool footage. It's hard to like get people's attention. So I was also like, when you talk about an investment, I was like, just let me have a year. I'll, I'll work for nothing. And in my first contract at Barcelona, I was like, I was making nothing, like living in New York City at their offices. I'm telling you, like for a New York City salary, it was like $0. But I was like in heaven because I'm like, I don't care about money now because it's not even like you could make, you know, 500 grand at some investment banking thing, but be no closer to having a fishing show, you know? Right. So I was like, I just need this platform. And I think when it came out and kind of all of the new, like interesting feedback that they'd never heard before, like that scene with all the mullet and the lemon sharks going through it, our CEO came to me, Erica, and she was like, I can't even believe this is on our website. Like, how did we, you know, whatever. I'm like, there's so many cool things that we can be showing because Barcel does a lot of humor, a lot of like, you know, reaction videos or current events. I'm like, this is kind of evergreen content. That's not um, really what we're doing. So it kind of like showed them, Hey, like we're more multifaceted than just like podcasts that are just talking about sports, you know? Right. Yeah. So I would say they're happy, hopefully. Yeah. Well, man, so many people that listen to this podcast want to be fishing guides or they want to open a retail business or they want to follow their passion in some way, shape or form. And I get, I get tons of people. I'm, I seek those stories out because I think it's super cool when somebody does that. Like 
they buck the trend or they do something like their parents and everybody else that loves them says, don't waste your time. This is a dead end road. Get a real job. You know, and often it's the people that that are the closest to you and they're well-meaning. You know, they they mean well. They they really think like this is right. this is a pipe dream. But man, you just laid out the secret to success in any field. Like that you, you burned the boats and you just said, I'll I'll do whatever. And I think it's funny that that they told you you had to move to New York because like here you are, you're wanting to fish and show, which you know in your mind all all your life puts you in Isla Morada, and they say move to New York and get paid zero, and off you go. Like, did you? Right. Did, was there any hesitation there on your part? And like, what did your parents think? And everybody else around um, you. <laughs> I mean, first of all, New York City, I think might be my least favorite place on earth, <laughs> like in the entire world. I haven't been to some places. I'm sure there's more like gross places I wouldn't like that I haven't been to, but where I've been, I think it's my least favorite place on planet earth. But the thing is too, so Barstool by its nature, right? Like the Dave's idea in making that New York office was making a kind of central hub for all of the content that would be like, you know, all the personalities Barstool's kind of set up by the bloggers or like, you know, video guys or whatever it is it's kind of one big reality show, right? It's almost like as if like they took Bud Mary's and like, all of the captains there, they go out and fish, but the show is their relationships between each other and the arguments and who's doing what. So that's kind of his idea. So I knew as well that like weirdly being there was almost better for me outdoors wise than being anywhere else because I was getting exposed to an audience that, you know, the the people who follow Marshall, the true fans that are like really into it, they're like obsessed. So it's like being in that powder keg of, of content all the time. I was getting exposed to new fans that like, were like, who is this kid? Who knows? Oh, he does like shark stuff. Like it kind of helped me in that regard because even though New York's the least like, you know, outdoors place of all time, I almost stuck out more there than I would have in some place where everybody's doing that all the time. So like in the Barcelona office, they're like, like in stuff that, you know, like I'd go catch like a black tip and people are, you're crazy. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, this isn't that crazy, but I wasn't going to stop them. You know, I was like, yeah, it's so crazy. Right. Like, you know, watch this show. And it kind of ended up benefiting me. And when you say like any hesitation, I literally, and, and I've been to New York one time before when I was like a little kid and I hated it then too. And I was like, <laughs> not even for a millisecond did I hesitate because I knew I'm like, I was living in my parents' basement, like doing nothing. Like the reason why I was fishing so much is because the drone business and everything, it was not booming. Like I was not, I'd make, I wouldn't make enough money for like, like to live off of for like a month. And I'm talking living in your parents' basement, no rent, like, you know, just for food and gas. I used to remember putting in, I remember the, the Chesterfield Parkway BP station right there. I knew the gas, if it was $2 and 30 cents, I'd put in, like I'd get 10 <laughs> bucks for my mom. And I knew I had in my F-150, I had like 16 miles a gallon or maybe less. And I was like, if I get 10 bucks, this will last me. Like I can go to this lake and back four days or something. And then I'll have to find more or whatever. Like it was not like I was missing out on much as far as like opportunity. So the second they even opened the door, I'm like, I was actually living in the office for a period of time, sleeping on our CEO's couch in her office. And I'd have to set my alarm and wake up right before she would get there. So she wasn't like, what the hell are you doing? (laughs) But it was all worth it because like, I just knew that if I stayed on that path, 
I would a hundred percent get at least a chance to like put out something that would be in that realm. And that was my, it, honestly, it was the biggest fast track too, because how else, like if I tried to go to a network and say, Hey, I want to fish on TV. I mean, they would, I would never even get a meeting. You know what I'm saying? Right. So it was like my only chance. Yeah. Wow. That's, a, <laughs> that's amazing, man. That's really, really super cool. Because like if, if, if when people ask, and I basically wrote an article a long time ago that was about basically what you just described. Uh, if you want to be a fishing guide, you want to be a mate, you want to do whatever, walk the, go where the fishing guides are, walk the docks, do whatever necessary, clean fish, wash boats, clean the toilet, whatever you need to do to be there. And, and they won't hire you. And it's like, of course they won't hire you. And you need to keep going back and keep washing the the boat and keep doing the toilet and keep cleaning fish for free and living in your car and doing all this stuff. And then you keep doing that. And then one day somebody doesn't show up and you get this chance. And, uh, and, and there it is. And when you have that chance, you got to be ready for that chance. So every single morning could be your chance. And then when you get that chance, you got to, you got to perform. And man, it sounds exactly like, I mean, what you did is such a cool story. Um, so but when you're that, what you just said is the most true thing of all time, where it's like, it's not even about, do you get it? Like, do you show up and they tell you, you can do it. I, w I was like filming. That's the funniest thing too. And I don't even like talking about it normally. Cause I, I hated it at the time. I was literally filming the people in the office, like the same guys I'm like contemporaries with now, like my job making those behind the scenes was like, and I would try to be on camera as much as possible. Cause I was like, I just want to gain, I don't want to be filming people. I want to be in the videos. So I was always trying to get even to the point where people would chirp me for it sometimes being like, Oh, trying to get on camera again. I didn't care. I was like, I just was, I would be filming people and editing. I would go like when, when Dave, our boss would go do something, I'd be like, Hey, can I ride in the car and just film you just to like, you know, get some behind the scenes which has nothing to do with fishing, but I knew him like the more I can be in those circles and he knows that I'm like, you know, a hard worker or get this or whatever. Like you said, like if you're walking in the docks and scrubbing the boats and stuff, one day the captain's going to be sitting there and, you know, has a beer with you and talks to you and, and, you know, asks you, Hey, what do you want to do? Whatever. And you're like, well, I want to be a captain. He puts it in his head. It's like being in the vicinity of what you want to do I mean, and like you said too, the day that somebody's not there, you have to perform. You, if you suck, it's going to be tough. Right. You're going to have to just, you know, wait even longer. But that's 99% of the battle is like just putting yourself in that spot and just working every day. And then people are generally, in my experience, sympathetic to people who work hard as well. If they see you grinding every single day, they're going to want to give you a chance regardless. You know what I mean? Because yeah. people are like, hey, and, and how it happened too was one time I'm on the radio with Dave, the main guy and Pat McAfee, who now has like 2 million followers. He's like a superstar in the sports world. And we were in their office. I was videoing them just talking on the radio. But once again, I was in the room, whatever. And someone called in with some shark question or something. They're like, Hey, why don't you, you know, talk about it? I'm like, and I'm right there. I'm like, Oh, well there it is. And all of a sudden I'm on the radio with them. And that's, it's just, I really think being around and just being like, putting aside your pride or dignity in the sense of like, like you said, if you're scrubbing boats or cleaning fish, who cares? It doesn't mean you're doing that forever. Like every single person that's doing, like, I'm sure you did that. I'm sure yeah. everyone that's like big time was doing that at some level. 
I used to get people coffee and literally do anything that they wanted. And guess what? No one even knows that now, but that's just how you have to be around the situation sometimes until you can be the one that somebody's getting coffee, you know? Right. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And it's uh, it's a lot about having that can-do attitude as well. Like, nobody's afraid to ask you because they know you're going to say yes. Like, And so the boss is like, you know, oh, we need somebody to drive us. That's going to be a super pain in the ass. Get Ben. He'll do it. And, and right. it's not like, oh man, yeah. Okay. Hold on. Let me finish what I'm doing. It's like, you need me to drive you? Yeah. Done. Where are we going? Fine. Give me the yes. keys. I'm, I'm there. And, and that is the secret, man. That's the secret to, to success, not in getting a fishing show, but in anything. I mean, it really is. It's, it's really the key to, to everything. It doesn't, you know, edu- put education aside, put, um, you know, all of these things that people think are their, um, either their strengths or their weaknesses, put all that aside. And what, what really matters is the attitude, in my opinion. Right. And that's 100%. how we've, that's how we've gotten so many of our captains and mates that have worked for us over the years. It's like, that's the can do attitude, man. That, and, and even in right. the production, you know, like all the people that are, are cameramen and, and, and editors and everything, it's like, you know, we've gone through a bunch of those guys and, and some have the attitude of like, yep, let's get it done. Like we're, we're all in this together. Let's get it done. And then some people don't, and you just move away from those people and you move towards the people that are like the team players. Right. And I think also one thing I learned as well, doing that, and like, I hated that. Let me be super clear. I hated (laughs) filming every second because every second I was standing there holding that camera, filming other people. I'm like, in my head, it felt like almost just like, um, it was like a rebellion in my head the whole time. I'm like, dude, you're going to be stuck doing this forever. Like it scared me the whole time. I'm like, don't let them make you the camera guy forever because you'll never get out. And I always had that in my head. I was very careful to be like, like always looking for opportunities to do stuff. But when I was doing that, like I would always notice, like, for instance, like Dave, you know, that was who I would mainly be filming a lot of times, right? He's the head of the company. He's the founder. He's the, he's the star of the show when we'd be walking somewhere, like he'd be going to, you know, we'd do events or something. Right. And there's a million people outside screaming his name. We're walking in. Hey, Dave, Dave, I'd make sure to get all the stuff that would be like cool for him. Like I didn't have to be filming them, but in my head, I'm like, he's going to like this. Like my dad's always told me this too. And it's not about the requirements of the job or whatever. I'm sure this is like on your show too. It's like, it's about making the person happy that you're working for as well. It doesn't have to make sense, but it's like, 
if this is going to make him like me more then that's going to help me get a fishing show sooner. And that's just the reality. Is it right? No. Is it, you know, fair, but it's like, I'd try to get things I'm like, Hey, and then I'd text him a clip. Hey, this is like pretty cool. You know what I mean? It's like, and he knew that I was always actively looking for, Oh, this is a good thing that he might like. That's what employers like, you know, think about it. If, if you had an intern, what would you want them to be doing? That's what I'd always try to be thinking. I'm like, okay, this will help him know that I'm like with it. You know, if, if he knows that you understand what he wants, he may be quicker to give you more leash because he knows that you're not like off the reservation, even if it doesn't benefit you in the moment, you know? Right. So that, that's really amazing for how old are you? 28 now I'm so, getting up there. Man. So 28, but when you're, when you're doing all this filming and you're, and you're, that's 25, 24, 23, 24. 23. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty mature attitude for somebody that's 23 years old. Did that come from your parents? Like where did that work ethic and that, and this, this, drive for this opportunity. Um, where did that come from? I think, uh, my grandparents both each started a business when they were, um, so they're, they've been married, I think for like 60 years, maybe seven. I mean, they're going to be mad at me for my grandma or aunt, as she likes me to call her, will be mad at saying the amount of years. So I'll just say a lot of years. Cause she, she doesn't want to be dated. You know, she wants <laughs> you me just to tell, you just told the world that she, she's been married for 80 years. So yeah, you can do some quick math. <laughs> And I don't think She's it's going to be like right. That. I think it was more like, uh, like 20 years is what I meant. Aunt, as she likes me to call her, she's going to, she's going to whip my behind for that. But anyways, basically they both, I think in the, you know, whatever decade, a long time ago, both each started a company and they worked nonstop. You know, even when my dad was young, they'd be gone a lot. And like, you know, just one was a, a company where they'd sell ads on radio Basically, before you could even have the weather on your phone, you'd call a number and it would tell you the weather for the yeah. day. And while they had that, they'd grow, you know, callers and, and they would sell advertising amongst the weather, right? And he would go to every different, you know, radio station across the country and every different city and try to establish a thing. They just, I mean, and when you talk about work ethic, like I'm peanuts compared to that. This was like no guarantees, nothing, their own money, everything. And my grandma started a company where she was uh, doing like customer service training and kind of like how, how to have your company have better, you know, phone relations, email, everything, you know, before email, but basically communications with customers, how to be better. Right. And I think like, I, I'm like, like I said, I would never try to put myself up there with them because they worked harder than I've ever worked in my life for way longer. But I think that's kind of the tone of what them and my dad have always like, wanted me to be. So like when it comes to situations like, um, you know, they've also been running businesses where like they see a lot of the, there's a lot of un, unexpected difficulties as far as like dealing with, you know, either employees or like other things where like, I see it from both sides where I'm the employee, but I also see what the boss wants you to do. So it's like, they've kind of instructed a little bit of that type of stuff. But honestly, the more I think about it, I think it's all just hockey. Like I've played hockey my entire life. And one thing my dad's always told me, it's like, it doesn't matter if you should be playing on the first line. It's who the coach thinks should be playing on the first line is who's going to play on that line. So it's like, it doesn't matter what you think or, you know, who scores in practice, you have to figure out how to get that guy to put you in that situation. That's the game. The game isn't whether you should be or not. So I think that's kind of where it comes from too, is reverse engineering 
what the boss is going to want to see, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And with the coach, that's, I mean, so many people that, that I interview on this podcast are successful and it goes back to, you know, their, their athletic background. Like the hockey thing is really interesting to me and, and trying to figure out how you can do what the coach wants you to do. That's a pretty tough concept for a young person, like a, like a, maybe a high schooler can figure it out, but like a grade schooler, I don't know. I mean, if you got that game figured out in grade school, you, you, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. I definitely didn't have it figured out, but I just, <laughs> at least was aware of it and was trying to figure it out. But even like I played in college too at, at D three at a school. And like, even then that was tough. I was like struggling with, you know, I would, I scored one night and was out of the lineup the next night. And you're sitting there being like, you're going nuts. You're like, what am I like supposed to do? Like there's, there's not always a clear set of um, instructions on how something's going to equal something else. And that always was something that was tough. And I, I didn't even figure it out then, you know, I was like 18 years old. Then it's like Barstool was something where I was motivated to figure it out. And it's just like in a relationship too, you know, now it's like my girlfriend, like, I don't, even if I like make the bed and, and make her, you know, food, it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to like be not in trouble for the right. You just have to keep doing the right thing. It's like, I've kind of like slowly are still learning. It's like, it, it's really just the key to anything with a relationship between a boss, between, you know, a friend. It's like, it's not always what's right. It's what's going to solve the equation of them being happy. If that yeah. makes sense. Well, it know. does. It's interesting. There's a book. Um, what is it called? Seven love languages or something like that. You ever read that book? And, uh, I've, I've heard of it. Yeah. It's, it's all about like, everybody's got this love language that, you know, that that's, that's how they see. Like, if you do this for me, that's telling me that you love me. Right. And, or your girlfriend or your wife or whoever, and you can be like acts of service or whatever, like taking out the trash and washing the car and doing what, you know, mowing the grass and doing all this stuff. But if that's not what she likes, it's, it's nothing like, she's just like, Oh, you just, right. you like cutting the grass. I don't like cutting the grass. Like, what are you talking about? I'm trying right. to do something nice. Well, if you want to do something nice for me, why don't you buy me a present? Like, and it's like, Oh, okay. But you're just speaking. I'm like, like you can, like what you were talking about there is kind of cool. Cause you can be doing something, but it's not getting you anywhere that you want to go because you're speaking the wrong language to the coach or you're speaking the wrong language to the boss or you're speaking the wrong language to your wife. That's pretty, uh, that's pretty high level to try to figure that out. And, and then in, in turn, speak that language. It turns like, it seems like that's exactly what you did at Barstool. Like you kind of figured out like how to speak that language, how to do what was necessary to kind of make, make people see you like as, as legit, and, uh, and give you this opportunity. And it's a constantly evolving thing too, right? Like even now. So one challenge that I've gone through recently is like after season one in my head, I'm like, this is it. Like I did it. I got the, you know, show like, I can't even tell you Tom, like the day that I put out that Almorada episode, the place that means like my entire life is like my favorite thing is Almorada. And it's like, people, random people across like even like other countries, like messaging me or, or commenting or watching a video of like me fish. I, I couldn't process even how cool it was. So after that, you're almost sitting there. I'm like, I don't even know what to do next because I was, and I struggled with it big time. Like 
in between this uh, past, you know, the second season, the first season, the second season, that time in between was one of the weirdest times of my life because the goals and the dreams that you've been hoping for all of a sudden, you don't even know what to want anymore. I'm like, well, it's never going to get better than an Alan Rada episode that I took, you know, all the old footage, everything. So now I'm like, what do I do now? You know, do I just sit there and, you know, catch bass? Like it's, I didn't know what to do. And that was like something where even when you figure out, like, you know, when you're talking about languages to speak with like a boss or whatever, I also didn't know now I'm like, okay, I did good. And they're happy with me. How do I now do something they're still going to be happy with? Because they've seen this trick. Like you can't just make the same thing over and over because I'm sure you deal with this all the time with your show. It's like, even at the end of the first season, I did like, maybe like we did one in Montauk that had a Mako shark and a thresher, which to me is crazy. I'm like, mm-hmm. that's insane. Then we were catching um, like sand tigers off New Jersey. And like, I start to see people being like, Oh, another week, more sharks. Like this guy doesn't do anything different. And you're sitting there like, wait, what? Like, I just, like, I thought this was cool. You guys like the, uh, even when they like it sometimes, even if someone likes what you're doing, if you do it, the same thing they like, they might be like, nah, that's you. We've already seen this. I'm like, so that kind of started becoming a challenge too. And I'm still figuring it out. Like this past season in full disclosure, because of COVID, we had to limit some of the, um, you know, travel and filming, like a lot of it. But to me, I just didn't think that I had enough variety on this one compared to the first one. So like, that's something where I'm like hungry to do on the next season. I'm like, man, I have to like switch this up because you see the response. Like mm-hmm. when, when fans are, our audience, you know, people viewing it are not as fired up. You're like, it hurts, you know, you're like, man, I got to figure out how to get them back excited, you know? Yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of, a, that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, is like the internet's a fickle place. And then you also open yourself up to, um, every person in the world having an opinion about you and how, how has that been to, to deal with? I mean, that's something I don't necessarily have to deal with. Like you put your stuff on TV, there's not a comment section below that everybody, anyone, and, and you even welcome it, like leave a comment, you know, well, some of those comments are not going to be good. Uh, most of them are good. how, How have you dealt with that? Was that tough? Like right away, man. I mean, like you go from, from wanting this fishing show to putting it on. Did, I mean, I don't know how it was received or like, I mean, sometimes you can look through the comments and there's just like one there that just stings. You're like, Whoa, man, I thought I was doing something really good. This person hates it. And like, how has that been to deal with, with all that kind of stuff? I think it's been one of the craziest parts of my entire time on planet earth (laughs) is every single thing involved with like barstool. Um, I guess just like any fans or or whatever you want to call it feedback from random people, however you want to like specify that in full disclosure, it is probably one of the craziest things I've ever dealt with in my life. And, and let me tell you why, like, first of all, like you just said, one comment that makes you mad when the first show came out, right? I had this kind of, um, I had a good, extremely lucky tone at that time because I was like a blues fan from St. Louis. They had just won the Stanley cup. And I had this like dancing chinchilla bit that I was doing all the time. And everyone was like, you know, loving it. And that was, that was like the luckiest thing. And, And also I'm, I'm fully aware too, that if that didn't happen, uh, season one might've gotten, you know, 30% 30% as much views as it did, whatever. 
I, I ended up going from like on Twitter, it was like 50,000 followers to like a hundred something thousand on Instagram from like 10,000 to like 60,000. Like this, this whole blues thing ended up getting me exposure. I would have, and it was all luck if they lost in the first round. I mean, it's not all luck in the sense of like, if you caught like a 25 foot hammerhead off one of those bridges, that was a world record breaker that got all over everything. It's not, it's, it's somewhat luck because you fished there a million times and haven't seen it. But the fact that you were there to capture it and, and knew how to catch it and record it the right way was what, you know, your skill part of it. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what it was. The fact that they won the Stanley Cup, insanely lucky. But I was there working every second and trying to think of funny stuff and dancing and doing all these funny things to capture the moment, right? So then when that happens, right, everyone's kind of on my side. It was like, St. Louis was, you know, oh, everyone loves you. The Barstool fans were like, what a story. And I had had the outdoors episodes done before that. We were supposed to release them in May and pushed it back because we're like, well, this blues run, we don't want to kill this. So let's just let this go. It goes all the way to game seven Stanley Cup finals. They win. I was on the ice after. It was like literally, <laughs> I was in the parade. It was literally the luckiest thing. Like, think about, I was literally that had on to be like, that had to like be like a thousand people. That had to be like a, a dream come true. I mean, even more so than having a fishing show. Like you're a hockey player. Now you're on the ice after the Stanley Cup. Crazy. Like, that's unbelievable. It, it was. And, and the other thing too, is the fishing show. I literally like worked on for a billion million hours and like, was like losing my mind over. So I knew how that happened when I'm on the ice at TD garden in Boston, like with the Stanley cup, like granted, I wish I was in a uniform playing, but like, as, like you said, as a hockey fan, I'm like, other than if I was in the NHL, it was the coolest thing hockey wise you could possibly imagine. And that one is even crazier because you're like, I don't even really know how I got here. This is crazy. So when that all happened, we go to then release outdoors, which I knew the whole time in my head. And I'm like, I think people are going to like, I just knew I was like, if they don't like this, I don't even care because this is as good as I got. Like I'm trying as hard as I can. Right. So when that came out, it overwhelmingly positive response because of kind of on the heels of everything that had just gone on. And this is something I've learned too, with internet stuff as well. When you talk about comments kind of comes in waves, right? Mm-hmm. Like sometimes Everything you do, everyone's like, oh, you're, you know, stay hot, all this stuff. You're doing great. And sometimes even when you're doing stuff you think is good, it will be negative no matter what. So it's like you you somewhat learn that and kind of can anticipate. Like I know sometimes when I put something out, I know people are going to, you know, say negative stuff. It doesn't make it less frustrating, but at least it's not um, as shocking, right? And so when that came out, I think I, I I didn't read the comments or Reddit. There's like a whole Barstool Reddit where they just like talk about you as like, it, imagine if they would like take one of your shows, like you guys are catching tarpon off like, you know, seven mile bridge or something. And they just dissect the entire thing. And they're like, well, Tom thinks he's so funny. Like talking about this, like he's so self-absorbed when he said this, they go through and like say that for everything in the whole episode. And you're sitting, it will literally cause you to lose your mind because they used to do it for stool scenes that I used to do, like the behind the scenes stuff. They'd be like, wow, why he's so arrogant or what a you know piece of crap. He thinks this. There was actually, and this is like, I'm getting deep in now because I forgot about this is 2017. I have like, I don't know if, if this is going to be on video or like if you're going to put it out, but I have like my eyes, these are just my eyes. I don't know. People used to say that I, I did pills because my eyes are baggy or something. <laughs> 
literally I've never done any drugs in my life on God. I've never done them. Like for some reason, like I drink, but I just, I never even smoked weed. That's just, I don't know why I don't do it. Nothing against people who do. That's just like, whatever. But people now are on the internet. This is when I first started working there. They're like, yeah, he, he does like pills, whatever. And I'm sitting there reading this. I'm like, what's going on? Like, this is crazy. Then I had people, family members and friends from St. Louis being like, Hey dude, you okay? Like all this stuff. I'm like, what are you talking about? I didn't do anything. Like I literally just am at work. Like what is going on? And that's the type of stuff that really starts making you crazy because a, and these are anonymous people on the internet, like anonymous. There was times where people would write stories and comments being like, yeah, I met YP in the bathroom at uh, this bar and he was doing this on my life, on my mother's life, unbelievably fabricated. And it makes you angry because you want to like set the record straight, but that only calls more attention to stuff and makes you look crazy. It is an impossible game to win. Like if you can even tell through my tone right now, it's like, how do you, how do you avoid that? It's insanity. So, so does some of the people at Barstool, some of the other personalities there, the boss, like does some of the other people kind of coach you through this? Like, this is a new thing. Like, what, I don't understand yeah, what these people are saying, why they're, why they're saying this or what, like, do you get some help from other people? Yeah, you can somewhat, but it, the craziest thing is like, I mean, people there, like we, I had a girl that uh, worked with us there that I'm good friends with. People would post pictures of like, and these are random anonymous people. So it's really hard to stop them, but people would post pictures of like random girls, pictures from the internet and be like, Oh, this is like a naked picture of so-and-so. And she's sitting there being like, so that's like even a worse level of like, so I don't even have it that bad, right? Like crazy people on the internet are the levels of crazy they get to is more than you can imagine. Like I, I don't even get it bad. It's like, so that, that's one of those things too. When you're talking about other Barcelona people, I saw other people going through it, I guess. And I kind of learned and it still happens to this day, but I guess the biggest thing that I've learned too is you can talk about it or give advice or get advice until it's happening to you. It's almost impossible to, to prepare for because when the comments are about you and and it's, it's different levels sometimes, right? You know, like I would do a video and someone says it's, you know, bad or you're the worst, right? Okay. That's frustrating because you care about your video, but you can all be like, man, screw you. Like I, I made this because of this. And I think like, for instance, when I made, um, like a video, I'm trying to think of one. What was the one the other day? Like we did one of bass fishing that I was like, man, I've always wanted to make a bass fishing episode. This is cool. Some people are like, oh, this is boring. Like, you know, you know, go back to sharks, whatever. I'm like, okay, like that sucks that you didn't like it, but I know why I did it. So it doesn't really bother me. I'm like, I think this is cool. And this is whatever. When people start talking about you personally, I think that's something that is, I still to this day almost, have I'm not going to say no defense. It's extremely hard to not react to that. And I, I don't even mean reacting publicly because I never respond. I never comment, do anything. Cause that's, I mean, you're, you've lost at that point. Oh, then yeah. they have, you. yeah. But in my brain react, right? Like, and there's been things full disclosure too. the weirdest things with Barcel, the, the personalities, I guess you could call it of the website. People get, are, are such fans of it. It's almost like a sports team where it's like, when something's going on in your personal life, like, you know, I went through a time where I had broken up with a girlfriend that I, you know, had dated for a while and people start commenting about that online. And that is like one of the worst things you could possibly go through because like, you know, your, your 
personal life is extremely, you know, who's going to know, even my friends don't know the full story of stuff sometimes. And it's like, you got complete strangers going off of Instagram pictures or, um, you know, bits and pieces of things they've heard over the years and all of a sudden are making a judge of your character as a human being and saying outrageous, horrible things about you sometimes that are like, man, this is something that I can't really let slide, but you can't do anything about it because it's just running rampant. And that is like, I don't wish that on anyone. And when celebrities go crazy, like real celebrities, and you're like, man, like, who cares? Like, they have all this money. Why do they care? I can't even imagine. I've gotten one one millionth of that type of feedback of crazy stuff. If someone was talking about your wife and your kids or something or making things up, oh man, it 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 makes you legitimately start losing your mind. Like when people talk about mental health and stuff, it's like that is not easy to stay even keel when people are talking about you as a human, right? right. Like if someone talks about your show, yeah, hey man, yeah, you don't I'm like the show, you don't like the show, but you start talking about the character yeah. and you start you start making assumptions about someone's character and how they behave and how they do these things. It's like, man, that's, you you don't know. You don't know those people. Yeah. Especially when it's people you care about too. Right. Like it's like people who, you know, you, you really care about and you're like, man, or or like other people get dragged into stuff and they make comments about people who are just, you know, involved with you that never wanted to have mean things said about them. That's something that's almost impossible to defend against because how do you let that roll off your back? Like right. that's not fun. You know? But as so soon that, as you as soon as great. you answer that comment, like you say, they got you. And and no amount of whatever, whatever, no, no amount of I learned this, I guess, really, really early in the internet on a message board one time to defend mm-hmm. a, a boat of of all things. Like I went in there, yeah. looked at this comment about this boat, which was wrong. And I set the record straight and I thought I did and it didn't get set straight because I can't stay up late enough and the, somebody can always stay up a little bit later. And then whatever you say, now they snipe you from the, you know, there's, there's one more comment and then you go back in there and you start getting back and forth with somebody and they always have more time than you. They always do. Right. And they'll always have the last word. And, and that, I was glad that that happened really early when the internet was young because I don't really uh, participate. You know, I don't, I don't good or bad. The only policy that's that works. Yeah. That's the only one. Do you you even read the comments? So I, I stopped, this was August of 2017. I remember very specifically someone from Barcelona higher than me told me to blog something that I had tweeted. They're like, Hey, throw that up on the blog. I threw it up there was an entire Reddit thread being like, Oh, YP thinks that uh, he's so funny. Like, so this guy's the worst. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I didn't even want to, they told me to put this on site. <laughs> and from that moment forward, I realized I'm like, okay, I, I was, there was a weekend too, where it was so bad. I made a joke with one of my friends. I was texting from Barstool and there was like a hundred comment thread talking about how I'm the worst person in the world for something was like, not even anything. I didn't sleep the whole weekend from Friday all the way to Sunday. Did not sleep either night. I was like sick to my stomach, right? And this is also my first six months there, whatever, where you're like, you're not used to it yet. You get a little bit better as it goes on. And I was I was nervous because Barstool fans are everywhere. Like when you walk around the streets in New York, people say what's up all the time. I was nervous to go to the gym. I was nervous to go to a bar because like you don't want, it's weird. I've had people that, Luckily, this hasn't really happened to me bad, but I've had people I work with 
one of my friends was with a girl that he's on a date with and he was walking down the street in New York. Someone's like, Hey, F you piece of shit. And, and he's like, this girl's like, what's going on? Like <laughs> it, it gets in your head. It's not fun. And, and like, it's, it's a lot like playing on a sports team where if you're losing or something, people are going to let you know about it. And whether you say it affects you or not. Right. Like I, I have friends that, um, I played with growing up like hockey that are now in the NHL. Right. And I see these people write things about them that are like, he's just lost it. He doesn't have it anymore or this or that. They see it. Like everyone sees that stuff. If there was articles, like if me and you played for like the dolphins and like, there's an article at the top of the sports section, like Tom Rowland, you know, he just can't stop throwing interceptions. When you drop back, it might be right here. It's, in the it's back somewhere. Of your head being, it's in there somewhere. Ah, don't throw another pick, you know, that's where you see like, like some of these elite athletes like a Tom Brady or somebody that just just goes through all of that stuff and and just yeah. somehow just has has made peace with it and is just like I'm not playing for those people. I'm playing for exactly. me and I'm doing and this for myself and and I'm going to stay on this path and I'm going to do the things that I think that I need to do and you know whatever happens happens pretty much. Yeah. So that, that's been my method now. So from that day on, I stopped reading all of them together until, and this is where it's dangerous, right? They know it's, it's like any sort of thing. They know how to get you back in. <laughs> so when I put out the first season of outdoors, obviously it was like something I really cared about. So someone told me, Oh, every, everything's so positive. It's crazy. The comments are so nice. So what happened? Just like a fish, they start chumming me back in. I start taking little, it's like, I'm back in the slick taking little pieces, little pieces. Then I start getting closer, closer. And that's when they get you with like the gap or something. <laughs> so I started getting a little closer and then I got burned again with everyone started, you know, shouldn't or you know, crabbing on you all the time. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm done for good because it, it does suck you back in. Cause the thing is you want to believe them when it's nice. You're like, Oh yeah, I'm doing good. These right. guys are right. I, I trust what they say. And then when it's wrong, you want to be like, well, I don't care what they say. So I tried to, you know, be like, I don't care if they say I'm the best thing in the world or the worst thing. I'm not taking it into account at all. So now I've gone back to just being like, I care about like if my girlfriend or my girlfriend's dad, you know, if he's like, this episode is terrible. That's what I care about. I, I have a very limited amount of people that I care what they say. And other than that, it's I've shut it off, like you said, because that's a healthier way to live, right? Like online world is a very toxic place overall. Can be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can, you can, the positive is nice, you know, it's nice to, to hear those things, but then, you know, you're right. It gets in there. Uh, it gets in there and and no matter what you think it, it, it is affecting you in some way, shape or form. Let's talk about um, your, your idea about, um, about what you wanted this show to be in the beginning, because I watched a number of episodes and first of all, I think it's hilarious. I, I really, <laughs> I find great humor in a lot of, in a lot of the things like, when you were with the Python Cowboy, which is somebody I need you to help me to get in touch with, I definitely, I've I've been in touch with him. I want him on the podcast really bad. Very interesting. Oh, dude. I'll get him on here tomorrow. That, Very Trapper interesting. Mike is dude. my boy. That's yeah. my dude. Well, I really, I really he's so funny on here. I know he would be, and and he's just so funny in his videos. But anyway, you were funny in those things, and and you're getting bit by snakes, and you're you're doing all kinds of craziness, and and uh, but there's some humor, like. Even in the pilot, the pilot was maybe the, <laughs> it might have been the funniest one that I've seen yet because there were some, 
intensely uncomfortable moments with you and Skip. <laughs> like like well, everything Skip. you've ever heard or read about about grumpy Isla Mirada guides was was in that episode. And uh those moments with Skip were were serious, man. Like how did you decide to leave those in uh on, on the first episode? Like, I mean I I could see you kind of being like no, no. Like I've wanted to fish with this guy always, or I've fished with him for a long time. Like that's not getting in the episode. Uh, well, first of all, I want to make the most clear thing of all time. This was child's play. Like, and it's, and I don't, anyone, Skip Nielsen is like my idol of all time. Like he's like, as far as human beings that I just fully accept as like, this is someone who I just think is the coolest human in the world. Skip Nielsen is one of my favorite people that's ever walked this entire planet earth. So let me say that first of all, he's been like, when I was watching saltwater experience and stuff, like you guys were like, I, I didn't know you, but I like looked up to you from that. Skip is someone I've known since I was a little kid. And like, he's like the guy that when I was like 10 years old, like I'd be nervous to walk by him on the dock in <laughs> Bud Mary's because I'm like, Oh my God, that's Skip Nielsen. And when we fish with them, me and my friend, John, we'd literally be doing like pushups the night before being like, we got to be ready for skip. Like <laughs> he's like my idol. Right. So I just want to say that first of all, and I, in my mind, for my money, I would put money on him to outfish anyone in the entire world. I think he's a cyborg. He's a machine. So let me say that first of all. So all that being said, these were the most PG G rated moments of all. <laughs> I wish we got the better stuff. It, this, it makes me mad. And Skip's not like this to random people, but me and John have, I've literally learned to fish from him, my grandpa and him since I was a little kid, right? So he sometimes still thinks of us as little kids as like, you know, we used to do dumb stuff or not set the hook hard enough, or whatever. I'll never forget the first time I went out with him ever. He used to have, he was the only guy I knew with those beautiful, you know, golden pen international reels too when I was a little kid. And like, he told me to set the hook one time. I'll never forget this is my first time out with him. My friend John's dad knew him from like the eighties was the only way I even got in with him. So I went out with them one time. He's like, set the hook. You know, I'm like a little kid from Missouri. Like, you know, we caught sharks off the dock, but I had never been like big time with him. He's like, set the hook. I told you, you know, like in his voice, he's like, what are you doing? He grabs the whole rod. I'm, I'm a little kid and yanks it back with the hardest hooks that I've ever seen and smokes me with the gold pen international in the mouth with the reel. You know how heavy those reels are, right? And I'm like fighting. So then he's like, yeah, that's, that's the, what I'm trying to tell you. I'm sitting there fighting this fish. Granted, I'm on the bow facing out. I got tears in my eyes. I'm trying oh, not to let Skip see it. My mouth is, I have literally like in bleeding, bloody lip. I'm like, have tears. I'm trying not to let him see that. I'm like, crying. he smoked me in the face with the thing. And he's like, come on, I'm like, stay on him. No slack. Like all this stuff. I'm like, as a kid, like when I'm a, before I knew that that's what I wanted to be as far as like, like good enough for him. I'm like, I hate this. I'm like, this guy is so mean. Like, this is the hardest thing. He, it was never like fun or relaxing to fish with Skip when we were kids because he just wanted us to do the things the right way. And sometimes being a lazy, you know, 12 year old, I'm like, I don't know. I just want to like, you know, show up, catch the sharks and go home. But no, man, he really, molded me is like this he's like if you want to be a good fisherman this is the level and this is how you're gonna to have to do things if you you can't go he, he he would never show up and be like yeah i got a little bit of bait 
he would have the whole cooler full of the best bait. And then he would go to the first thing we did. He's like, we got to go an hour earlier than you want to go. Cause I want fresh bait. He has a level of excellence. That is, that's what it needs to be. Right. Like, so that's kind of like, I always gave him the benefit of the doubt because I know what he wants us to do. Right. Like as far as just be good fishermen. So when we started to do this episode, right. I didn't want to tell the like skip Nielsen story as far as like, Oh, like he's a nice guy or catch fish. I wanted that rawness because to me, it's one of the most unique things as far as him. Like he, he's amazing at catching fish, but a lot of guys catch fish. I wanted to show like our relationship as well. Cause that's like, when, if I'm doing a pilot, it's like, this is how I learned to fish. Like when I messed, when he's like, you're backing over the net, like, Oh my God, that was the, that's the moment tell I'm you. telling you is the most uncomfortable moment oh. of the whole episode. And you're just sitting there like, I just, I just bumped the throttle just like just a little bit. And he's, <laughs> and that was nothing I'm telling you. So me and my friend, John, we used to draw like straws. We used to literally do rock, paper, scissors of who was going to drive when he was cast netting because we were like, you just get your head ripped off. Like I would literally be doing when I tell you, Tom, like on my life, I was trying as hard as I can. And if you would mess it up a little, he's like, Oh, well, guess we'll have no bait today. Like, you know, I'll just use lures. Like he, so I wanted that in there because I think that to get back to the original question, sorry, I get talking about skip. He gets me going. Cause he's an inspiring person to me, but as far as bar doors and what I wanted it to be right in that first episode, I want it to be the realest experience of fishing that there is right. Like in the sense of there's a lot of shows where like, and you know, I've done some like this since then where it's like, Hey, we need the fish. We need this. Like it has to be, you know, like even if we got to catch one and act like it took 30 minutes, like you always there, every fishing show has that struggle as far as like actually producing content when it's such a randomized thing. Right. Like I'm sure you've had so many days where you're like, Oh my God, we have, the camera here, this, that, and just is not happening. Oh yeah. But I really wanted to kind of tell the story of like, when we go fish with skip and I back over the net, I want that in there because I, to me, that's relatable and super real and raw, right? Like if everything about it, like when I put the anchor away horrible and he's like mad at me, like, I think that's so funny because it's like, when you're out with your friends and someone's like, Hey, can you go grab the thing? And they're like, you know, on their phone or like drinking, you're like, Hey dude, are you going to grab like, I think that's a very relatable, real thing. And I just wanted it to be the most true to form capturing of the fishing experience. And I thought Skip, like those moments to me are the funniest thing too, because I also was like, people aren't showing this a lot of times. Like I kind of thought I'm like, this is something we can do on Barstool that you may not be able to do on like a network, right? But they want it more buttoned up, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and you've, uh, so, so from that, um, the pilot, now, um, and even the first season, like you, you get through the first season and it's successful. And so what did the budget grow? Did, did, did the leash get a little bit longer? Did like, or, or did, did it tighten up or did the leash get a little longer as you're going on in the first season to where you're like, Hey, look, this is something kind of cool. I want to do. It's going to be a little more expensive. We're going to have to fly here. We're going to have to do this. Like, is it growing for, for that? Like you even said for season three, you're, you've got, you feel like you need some more variety. You feel like, you know, a lot of that comes at a pretty significant cost in my experience. <laughs> you know? Yes, sir. A hundred percent. So is it, uh, is I that growing? That, 
it's interesting, right? Like, so I thought that first of all, the first season I funded the, I funded every single thing out of my own pockets and like really? the guys who filmed, Oh, a hundred percent. The guys who filmed with me, they paid for it out of like when my friend Logan came to Isle Morale to film that pilot with me, like he paid for his own flight. Like he didn't even get anything out of that other than helping me do it. Like my friend Rudy came to Montauk with me to film this. This kid is a, a hockey player. He's a doofus. He's one of my best friends. I love him. He never filmed anything in his life. He's my friend. And that's why that one has like water droplets all over the camera. I'm like, Hey dude, can you like notice this next time? He paid for those Airbnb and the train tickets out of his own pocket. Everyone that was helping me. And that's why that season it's like, it's tough to really replicate that. It's like making an album before you had like a label or something. It's like, that was the most grassroots thing. The only episode, the Sturgeon one in British Columbia was the last one we filmed in April, like 26th, maybe of, um, of last year. That one was paid for by Barstool because outdoors was kind of like happening at that point. So they were like, I was like, Hey, we have this chance to go do this trip. Could we do this? That, that one they paid for. And I'm super grateful for that. And I'm, I'm the first one to be grateful for Barstool helping me. So I'm not saying that, but I am also proud of the ones like, the Alabama noodling one, we flew to Atlanta on a Friday night, drove from Atlanta all the way to Calera, Alabama, I think it was, like Bozo's Fish Camp, it was called, in the middle of nowhere. I got a ticket because it was like we got in at midnight and had to be at the dock at like 6 a.m. or something. We drove, I mean, Atlanta to Alabama is what, like three hours maybe? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of whatever it is. Yeah. Two and a half, three hours. I got a ticket in Georgia had to pay a bajillion, not that that's anybody's fault, but it's like, you know, through the process of doing all these things and getting to this place and doing that, the hotels, we paid for everything. That was the coolest thing ever. And it, and it made me hungrier too, because when you're putting your own money in, there's not a dime wasted. You're like, man, I'm going to make this count. So that is one thing that I'm grateful for. Now, when we went to do season two, right? Season one, great response. They're like, oh, there's going to be so many sponsors. That's the first thing I would say that's different uh, from season, like after you start to do stuff with a little more um, budget or attention or anything, the first thing that happens is everyone comes to you and their brother with wild things. Oh, you're going to be on discovery channel. You're, you're going to get this. Everyone wants to sponsor it. Everyone wants to, I'm sitting there in last uh, probably like August being like, man, we're going to be on Netflix by December and we'll have this. I'm going to get a brand new boat. None of that happened, but everyone tries to tell you at the beginning, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. You're going to be this, you're going to be that. And it's hard not to be excited when people, we had meetings like, oh, like someone reached out. We want to make a um, show for you on Discovery Channel. You know, all the, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, man, this is awesome. Make a couple, you know, fishing thing. I'm like, man, this is the coolest thing ever. And then you realize, okay, hey, it's going to be a lot harder than that. And none of these things, like there's a lot of people that say things. It's very easy to have people interested and it is 99.9% of the battle is like everything after that. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? As I'm sure you know. That was the first thing was adjusting to, okay, wait, there's a lot of noise, but a lot of this means nothing, right? So then when we finally started getting sponsors, you're like, okay, it's hard because there was other sponsors that I'm sure you've gone through this. It looks like they're going to do it from the entire way. Oh, yeah. And then at the last second drop out, and it's almost insulting. You're like, wait, I thought we were going to do this stuff together and now you're not. So that's why like Labablu and Dude Wipes, like I'm, 
riding with them for life. The people who ended up sponsoring me, it's like, you know, you, it's like family at that point. You're going in on something together. It's like, hey, I will do, I will fight for you because you believe in what I'm doing. Okay, done deal. I'm, I'm yours. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. So when that happened, we got those two sponsors, and I think that was like December, right? December to January, it started being finalized. This is this past year. So with a fishing show, as you know, it is not, you can't just go film somewhere for a week and have a season. That's not how it works. It's very tedious as far as planning, as far as like, okay, say you got to film from January to March. Uh, well, there's going to be places that you can't go do stuff at, at that time. So you're a little bit limited, right? So when this started happening, there was a lot of um, people like kind of in my ear too, being like, oh, you're not doing anything now. Cause like when I started doing Barcelona doors, I didn't have to do the behind the scenes documentaries anymore. Biggest come up of my life. I'm so happy. But then when the season ends and you're sitting there, people are like, like I was doing my radio show on Sirius, but it's like other that's one hour a day. My boss and Dave, they're like, well, you don't even do anything. You just sit there. And I'm just sitting there being like, I've just talked to this alligator gar guy. talked to this dude in California. I'm like trying to line up a three month travel schedule. I'm not a travel plant. Like, I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I'm sitting there calling every guide. Guides only have so many days. Then they're like, well, this may not work for weather. So it's a window versus a date. I'm losing my mind. And they're sitting there being like, well, when's this going to be done? I'm like, I don't know. So that was the first thing that kind of changed when you go from no budget to having a budget due to like, you know, getting backing from Barcel and everything. It becomes a lot more regulated in the sense of like, hey, we need like how many episodes are done right now? And you're sitting there like, I don't know. They're not like we went to film. I'm trying to think what it was. We filmed a few of them at the beginning fish for 15 hours on these days, but didn't have an episode. You come back and they're like, okay, so when will that one be ready? I'm like, I don't think this is done. Like we're going to have to go do, it's almost like worthless. You're like, I'm going to have to go do a whole nother day. And guess what? The captain's going to cost the same, whether it's, you know, you catch 50 fish or zero fish, that guy's got to get paid. So that the stress of that was the first thing I started experiencing when you're like, Oh man, this is not, a fun, this isn't for fun anymore. This is a very much a job where you're like, it, it's almost like playing hockey for fun versus when you're getting paid. And if you're going to, if you don't score, you're going to get cut. It's like, that's what it felt like all of a sudden. Like when I would be going to set the hook, like we'd get a bite on some of these things and it was more nerve wracking than it was like happy, right? Like you get a bite and you're like, if I miss this fish, this is going to be $3,000 down the drain. Oh man. I started to learn that very quickly. And that's why I have so much respect for guys like you and guys that have been doing this for a long time where you're like, dude, this is a business. It is right. not a messing around thing. And the other thing too, I'm, I would love to get your thoughts on this too. I also have a million questions for you, by the way, but I think as well, I would love to know what you guys think about like, it becomes something where 
I don't know how to say less fun, but it's like you almost go from like loving to fish to almost being like just stressed out the entire time. Like yeah. it's it's such a different atmosphere. Yeah. Well, it is. It's it's very much a different atmosphere. But I think that that Rich and I were um we did well with that because it's re- you know, from my background and his background, it's very easy to compartmentalize things. Like I like to fish myself. I like to go fishing. And I like to go out there and actually be the one to catch the fish. That's really fun. And I like, but then I'm a professional fishing guide, which you're in the back of the boat and you no longer are the one catching the fish. And so I had to learn early on in my career that there's an equal amount of skill or even a greater skill in being able to communicate through your customer and have them catch the fish because of the words that you're saying and the way that you're positioning the boat and the choices that you're making and the preparation right. and the, you know, the homework that you did and all that goes into that person catching that fish and, and, uh, obviously having a really good time doing it, or I guess other guides also have a really terrible time as they're screaming at their, at their customer, but, uh, whatever. Uh, right. then as we moved into the tournaments, man, that was, really nerve wracking. And the first tournaments that I did were just the little, uh, red bone tournaments in the keys. And that was, mm-hmm. that was, um, interesting, but it was, you it wasn't putting it on the line, like later in the story. And I mean that because you would donate a day to the red, red bone, but then you get paid for a day. So it's two days of fishing. And then they started doing the superfly before that. So you're getting paid for the superfly, you're donating a day, and then you're getting paid for the second day. So you're really fishing for three days, only getting paid for two, but it's for charity. So there really wasn't anything. You were stressed because you this was your great opportunity to show all the work for the whole year. Like, did you do your homework? Are you going to be one of those? five guides that win everything um, because it's almost always the same five guides or three guides or two guides or whatever. Can you get into that group of people? And so once that started happening, that, you know, that felt really good to, to do that, but you're compartmentalizing again. You're like, okay, well, I'm a guide again and I'm in the tournament and yes, I'm getting paid for two days instead of three. So that's a little bit of a risk. But then when we jump to the professional tournaments, that's when it became a whole different deal. Like you're talking about, like now we're having, it's a $5,000 entry fee to get into these tournaments. We had to drive to Texas. We're, we're, we're taking, you know, we're booked every single day of tarpon fishing. Rich was booked triple days. He would do three half days. I I never did that. I just did full days. Um, So we're, we're saying we're not going to do that. And we're going to chase down this dream of being some sort of professional red fisherman, which the the winning t- team would win a boat that was worth about $50,000. Mostly it would sit in your driveway for about eight months until you could sell it for 20. And then you split right. that between two people. And if I had just stayed home, I would have made more money than that. Right. Like, and so would have he. Right. And so that's when it got different. That was a different mm-hmm. deal and setting the hook and everything. You're like, listen, man, this is taking food out of my family's mouth right here. If I do not um, perform in this tournament, it's tough. And that's, you know, I, all I'm saying is what every bass fisherman in the world knows. And anybody that's listening, that's done any kind of professional bass fisherman is like, yeah, well, welcome to, welcome to my world, you know, but then 
you know, our next step was then now we're going to do a television show and it's all of the things that you just talked about. And all the while, I still just like to go fishing. Like I still just like to fish. So, but I understand that there's a skill in guiding. There's a skill in being a tournament angler. There's a skill in being a a, a television personality. There's a skill in being a television producer. There's a skill in the sponsorship uh, uh, relationships. There's a skill in public speaking. There's a sp- skill in in ha- doing your homework so that you can do a good job for your sponsors on the on the show. There's all of these different skills, and I have been able to just compartmentalize those into getting joy and excitement out of each one not unlike what you're doing like when you when you promote something on the internet through twitter or whatever and you get a big response from that you're probably getting as good of a of a a feeling out of that as if you you know the fish that you caught to get that response like it's right. a different skill set and in order to be good at twitter you have to work at it. You have to you have to practice. You have to learn from other people. You have to apply it in your own certain way. And you kind of compartmentalize that, I'm sure. Right. To where the Twitter thing, the thing that you can't compartmentalize is like what we were talking about before, when you get a whole bunch of bad comments. That's a tough one to compartmentalize. But I've been able to just take each one of these things and say, okay, well, today, I like when we're doing the Into the Blue show, I'm the producer. Right. So I'm not I'm not feeling like, man, it should be me catching that sailfish right now. It's like that is not even part of the the deal. I I know there's no chance I'm going to touch the rod. I know there's no right. chance I'm even going to get in the in the film boat. I'm going to be on the camera boat. I'm going to be driving the camera boat. I'm going to be the best camera boat driver that anybody's ever seen. I'm not going to run over the diver. I'm going to be the safest camera boat driver ever. And I'm going to do my job as a producer and uh, I'm going to make sure that all the sponsors are represented. I'm going to do all these things. And I'm just like, I'm going to take great pride in that. And I'm going to take great pride in the finished product being what it's out here for. And I'm not going to feel like, boy, I'd really like to catch that fish. Because that's how you drive yourself crazy, I think. You drive yourself completely crazy. And you see guides that do that. And um, they're just unhappy all their life. Like if, if you're a guide because you want to fish, you're setting yourself up for great unhappiness throughout your life because you're never going to get to fish. And you, you, you kind of look at your client with resentment of those people don't deserve to catch this fish as opposed to the guy that says, you know what, they don't deserve to catch this fish, but I'm going to coach them into it. And I'm going to take great pride and I'm going to be the best coach that this person's ever had. And he is going to catch fish or she is going to catch fish that they would have no chance of ever catching on their own. And I'm going to take great pride in that. Like, I don't know. I don't know if that answers your question, but just that compartmentalizing all of that stuff and taking pride in each one of them rather than, and trying to not think about the other way, like, like looking upon the other things as resentment, like, I can't believe I've got to be the one driving the camera boat when, when I could be in front of the camera. It's like, okay, well, that's the next level. The next level to me is being very content in being the best camera boat driver I can be that nobody will ever see that. Nobody will ever know that. It will never appear on TV, but I know. And I know that right. because the boat was in the right position, we got the shot that we needed. And yeah, you know what I mean? Like hundred percent. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Like how you learn that 
as it goes along. Like you would have never known that. Mostly you know the hard I mean? way. Right. <laughs> it's just so crazy to me, the whole experience of it. It's why it's, it's fascinating talking to you as well. Cause like you've done it 10 trillion times as much as I have, but it's like, just in my small experience, it's so like humbling the way that like, and the other thing too, is the first season we did over, like I told you on nights and weekends over a period of years, it was like, I, we get an episode and then it would be like two months before I, like we'd film every weekend, but by the times that we got actual episodes, it'd be like, you know, months in between. And that was kind of one of those things too now where it's like, they were like, so we finished up doing the sponsorship stuff. It was kind of like January we were live. Right. And we were waiting on one thing, which I'll, I don't even want to say on here because <laughs> it's still like supposed to happen and it didn't happen, but it's going to be my grand trick for the next season that I can't wait. But it was a weather window thing that we would have to fly for. And this, the guy is the only one able to do it, whatever I'll tell you later, but extremely rare fish to catch that I was waiting on. So we waited January. It didn't happen. February. It didn't happen. We started kind of getting antsy where like the people from Barstool, like they're like, dude, what do you mean you're waiting on? You know, like you're dealing with a lot of times people that may not know fishing as much. They're like, just go do something. Like we, you can't just wait on this one fish. So then we started filming a ton in like the beginning of March, right. To hopefully put out in like April, May, whatever, which was ambitious to, we kind of came out with an early June release date. We're like, okay, this was in the contract with the sponsors. We're going to do it by this date. Then the pandemic happens and you're sitting there being like, well, I can't fly to Texas now. We're not going to California. We're not going anywhere. I was in Florida. And, and during those time, people love to forget now. March and April, you weren't even supposed to leave your house. Right. Like I was filming stuff in Florida that my mom was like furious at me that I even went to Tampa during a certain time from we're in New Smyrna Beach. Like she was furious at me. Like, what are you doing? You're going to catch this thing. So and and you're sitting there and like, but there's also this kind of pressure and, and Labatt and Dude Wipe, I love them dead. They, they didn't do anything wrong. It was more internally. We're kind of sitting there like, hey, we want these sponsors to be happy. You can't just tell them sorry guys, we got nothing, you know? So it's like, there's this pressure where you're like, Hey, we got to do this soon. And like, as soon as things start opening up, we got to get these episodes done and, and edited. Like it takes a long time to edit them. So once we started filming again, it was like, we had like three weeks to put out four episodes. We filmed some of them, like, you know, a couple of weeks before where we're like, Hey, this is going to be like some of these days we filmed one day. And it's like, this is going to be whatever we get on this day. We don't have another chance for this it's the hard drives getting sent out tomorrow morning you don't get another chance so that was extremely stressful and like i'm not going to say frustrating but like there's times where i do an episode where i'm like man if if this was how i'd want it to be we would have gotten one that was this big right like even like i, I don't want to say it's almost like you know like episodes are almost like your kids like you love them you can't like you never want to say something bad to diminish them but there's ones where if I had more time, I would have loved to keep going until we got a fish of a certain size, right? Like, you know, when you're selling an episode like you yourself, you're like, okay, we got 150 pound tarpon. Let me, I can hawk this. I yeah. know that I believe in this product. Like you got to see this. There's also times where you're like, I don't know. I don't know if you have to, like, I know from my own ones, I'm like, I don't know if you have to see this one. Like there's times like when I caught that sawfish, I'm like, 
I'm like stopping random dudes on the street. Like when the trash truck comes by, I'm like, Hey, you got to see the sawfish. Like, this is so cool. There's times where you're like, not that. Right. And that was kind of a new thing too, is learning that you're like, this is a job where you have to create a product. It's not always a fairy tale, you know? And that was a huge stress when it comes to money and sponsors and everything. The budget gets bigger, but the expectations get way bigger. And also if I just did season one over again, which was, that was as best as I could do at the time. Like that was everything I had. I'm like, here it is. I'm trying as hard as I can. Here's what it is. And it's not like your guys shows are way more beautiful and everything. Like, I'm not trying to say it was like like a masterpiece, but for me, I was like, Hey, we're trying super hard. This is me and my friends. This is as good as we got. If you do that over again and people are just like, Oh yeah, we've seen this. Like, even if you, you kind of, there's this weird feeling that you have to top it Mm -hmm. and you're like, I don't know, that was as hard as I could go. And then you're trying to go harder, but then with a shorter time frame and more pressure. And that really was like a a very different stress, right? Like we caught the one Goliath grouper in the first episode that was like 500 pounds and that was cool. And it ended up getting millions of views on Twitter. It got like 5 million Instagram. It got like 6 million, like TikTok had 60 million. When I caught that fish on the boat, full, full honesty, I was not excited. I didn't even like, I was excited on camera and we were, I'm a, I was happy. But to me, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, people have seen Goliath Grouper a thousand times. I'm like, I don't think this is going to do it. Like, there's this weird pressure of kind of in your head being like, this isn't good enough sometimes. And it ended up getting a lot of views, which, like you said, compartmentalize wise, I'm like, social media wise, that did its job. Good job. In my head on the boat that day, I was like, I just don't know if we did it. You know, I'm like, I, I, people might see this and be like, eh, we've seen Goliath Grouper, who cares? And I was kind of like stressed when that, I, I, it was not like we caught that fish and I was like, oh, thank God we did it. I'm like, man, I just yeah. don't know if this is going to do it. I think one of the big you know? things is that you're, you're talking to a completely different audience. Like, yeah, you 100%. know, Black Tip H catches Goliath Groupers every week, pretty much. And everybody that watches his thing, they've seen a million of them, right? So, but, but not necessarily the bar stool. A lot of the people have never seen that before ever. And you're introducing them to something that's completely new. And, um, I mean, some have, of course, but I don't know. I mean, it's, it's about, you know, it's about more than the fish you catch and it's about more than the, even than the story you tell. It's like the way you tell it and the way that, that you catch it and the way, I don't know. I mean, Bill Dance has been, has been on TV uh, longer, certainly way longer than you've been alive. And, uh, <laughs> he catches the same fish every time, right? Largemouth right. bass, pretty much in the same pond. And, um, you know, he keeps doing it a little bit differently. And that's something that we had to come to terms with is like, well, we've caught baby tarpon a whole bunch of times, but how are we going to do it today? That's going to be a little bit different. How are we going to, how are we going to do it? Could we do it on, on the surface? Could we do it on fly? Could we do it? Mm-hmm. Um, is, is there some bait that we've never used? Is there an opportunity to teach people something? Um, and so therefore it turns out to be an entirely different show, even though the quarry is the same and you yes. know, you can, you can try to, you know, I don't know, maybe you got a new boat, maybe you got a new fishing rod, maybe you got something new that you can kind of craft into that story that makes this a different show than you did last year. And, um, yeah. And two things that, 
two things you just said that I think are super interesting. And like, this, it's like such a crazy resource to be able to talk to you about all this. Cause it's like, I have so many questions that it's like, it's amazing to be able to get your opinions <laughs> by the way. But anyways, I think like two things you said, number one, the different audience is huge as well, because like, I, I never want to use that as a crutch because I think like that's, it's kind of like a cop out because it's like, I could show them like, uh, you know, a garter snake in the backyard. Some people haven't seen that. So you always want to be like up to par with people who are doing it for that audience. Cause that's, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I never want to be like just the mainstream lame stuff. Cause that's, cause people like you or whoever, like I want to make something that like you guys have never seen or think is cool. Like that's the goal at least, but it is interesting where it's like, I, all I do all day is look at fishing stuff, see, watch YouTube, watch Instagram of like crazy fishing stuff to make me be like, Whoa, that's crazy. I'm so numb to most of the other stuff. So I think sometimes the, um, I'm, I'm a little bit conditioned to be like a little bit tougher on myself where I'm like, I caught that Goliath. I'm like, dude, everyone's seen 10 trillion Goliaths, but they might not all follow black debate or you guys or whoever. It's like, so that's something that I had to kind of remember that it's like, don't be, it, it's pointless to just be negative all the time because in this day and age, there's a lot of good fishermen out there capturing a lot of crazy stuff. So like, just because it's been done before, doesn't mean that it's worthless. You know right. what I mean? It's like, that's kind of a, uh, not very fulfilling way to think about right. it. And number two that you said that I thought was interesting is like the bill dance thing and everything you're saying, it's like, sometimes I get so strung up on the fish in like, if we don't have this product, as far as like, if we don't catch this bull redfish and haul over canal, this episode's a failure. No one that's watching my show. I'd say not no one. 95% care more about me slipping and falling on the deck or like, <laughs> you know, puking or like saying something funny. Like sometimes when you talked about compartmentalizing different elements of it, right? Whereas, you know, talking to the sponsors is just as important as catching the tarpon. To me, that's something I've had to learn too, where it's like being funny on the boat or like capturing little, you know, anecdotes at like in the bass episode, the thing that got the most traction was the guide talking about the guy slipping and falling in fire ants while he was going to the bathroom on the bank, like more than the bass. And it's like, I sometimes get so caught up in the pressure of being like, you got to show that you're good at fishing this fish when that's pretty much like, like you said, the build dancing, like I, it doesn't even, I wouldn't say doesn't really matter, but it's like the essence of the show is so much else other than the fishing. Isn't right. that interesting? Like yeah. it's something that I've just come to kind of learn that you're like in something that, that I think is really cool that I thought of while you're talking about that. When I watch your guys show, right when you're making it, there's probably such a pressure in your head being like, we got to catch this or do this or get this, you know, footage. When I'm, when I was like a kid in Missouri watching your show, it's an escape. And it was something that I didn't care if you guys caught barracuda or like, you know, a, a needlefish or like a snapper at the dock. In my mind, I wanted to just like vicariously watch you guys be in Isla Mirada or be at Hawks K and be in, you know, this kind of mind frame and a fun thing. I wasn't, there was no pressure from me watching you. Like I wasn't like Tom Rowland better catch this tarpon mm-hmm. on fly. I was like, this is so fun to just be able to like be in this mind frame. And sometimes I think I got to capture that way better than it's about just a fish, you know? Yeah. 
Well, if it's about just the fish, it becomes old pretty quickly. I mean, there's got to be something more to it. And, uh, you, you know, each of us are creating our own thing and it's going to appeal to some people and it's not going to appeal to others. And, and, uh, then you kind of collect your, your people, uh, that, that like what you're doing. And then you continue to produce that for them. And hopefully you continue to grow the audience and, and, um, I don't know, you got to take pride in what you do and feel good about it in order to keep it going. But, you know, one thing that keeps coming to my mind is like, you're, you're realizing that it's, you know, as much as we've talked about the difficulty in and how many, you know, it took you 21 years to get a show, right? As much as, as difficult as that may seem that it took 21 years, what you're going to find and what you're finding right now, we've already kind of touched on is that it's actually easy to get it started. It's hard to keep it going. It's harder to keep yes. it going. And even though it took you 21 years to get the show, it's been harder to get season two launched and it will be still continue to be harder. I mean, some things will get easier. Like, uh, you know, we've been on the show on the air for 17 years and some things are easier, but some things are mm-hmm. not like, you know, some things it becomes harder and harder every year to sometimes maintain the sponsor relationships or to deal with declining television views and figure out like, how are we going to get those views back? Like, uh, you know, so, you know, you go to different things, you know, the internet or waypoint or whatever. And it's just kind of interesting, but, uh, that's, that seems to be where you are. Um, but yeah. man, we could, we, we obviously barely scratched the surface and we've been going for an hour and a half. And, uh, so man. I would love, really love to have you on again because, uh, I very much enjoyed this, this conversation. I really do feel like we barely, barely scratched the surface. We haven't, we didn't really get to any of your your episodes or, or like what you're doing, but really to me, the most interesting thing about you and what you're doing is not the fish that you're catching. To me, the most interesting thing is the journey of how you got to where you are. And it would be very easy, I think, for many people to look at someone, you, anyone on a platform like Barstool and think, man, they just put this guy in there and, and off he, off he goes, right? Like it's, but it's it's an overnight success. Twenty one years in the making is what you told mm-hmm. us, pretty much. And and yeah. uh, I think it it for me it gives me much greater respect for your journey and what you've been able to accomplish and how you did it and the determination and the work ethic and everything that you had. I mean, you're all right, dude, man. And and it's it's really cool to see you having having success at something that you work so hard at. And um, I'm a fan. Man, that means a lot coming from you. It's it, it's like um, it's crazy too because you know as you do stuff more too, like I make this show or that, or you kind of learn who you who you think is cool even more refined, right? Like I've seen people that make other shows that I'm like, oh, this is like kind of cheap, or other people on YouTube or Instagram where you're like, this is not what I thought it was. And as I've made it more, like when you said 17 years too, it's like, oh my, I'm almost like passed out it's like that is the amount of you know skill and longevity that that takes it's like that is so impressive man and like yeah i mean obviously i'll come on anytime i'll come on every day if you want me to but it's like um i just think you're the way that you guys do the website the way that you guys do everything it's just i really think that it's amazing kind of show of like what the pinnacle as far as like people doing outdoor shows and like or just like anything outdoors content, I, I think the way you guys do it and have done it for a long time is just first class. And it's like, 
I'm just learning. I, I, I shouldn't have been talking so much. I got to listen to you more, but <laughs> no, it's just this fascinating. Is, this is all about, we, we'll have another one where we can, where, where we can bounce around some ideas, but um, you know, yeah. you have, you're bringing a, a real uh, interesting set of skills into this. And, you know, like when I, when I had an opportunity to have Bill dance on the show, I felt um, very much the same that, that you're saying, I'm like, dude, you've been on the air for 45 years. He has produced thousands and thousands of episodes and, and just done, you know, not only his freshwater show, but then he's got a saltwater show. And, and I'm just in awe really like of what he's been able to accomplish and how he's been able to do it. And, and just the amount of respect yeah. that, that he has throughout the industry. And it's really cool. Um, but then he, there are things that he doesn't have, like he doesn't have the, um, the savvy on the, on the internet. He doesn't have the social media experience or knowledge that I have or you have, and I don't have what you have. Like everybody, you know, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants like Bill Dance, Roland Martin, Jimmy Houston, those kind of people that uh, Jerry McKinnis that that carved out a path for making a way, making your living in the outdoors. But then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm bringing my unique little secret sauce to it. And then you're, you're doing the same thing and it's really cool. And, um, yeah. I don't know if the bar's getting higher. It's getting, it, it, it almost, it's like a different bar. Like it's just a diff, like it's almost a different animal. Like everything is, a, is, yeah. is different, but it's really cool. And, uh, I, I want to give you a uh, great congratulations because your story is super cool, man. It's, it's really, really cool. So many people that listen to this podcast want to do something like what you've done maybe it might not look like a tv show or an internet show or a youtube channel it might look more like being a fishing guide or it might look more like um you know starting a, a non-profit and doing something that they really want but i mean the the it yeah. always goes back to the same thing and it's all of the recipe that made you uh get to where you are today and that is man it, it you can't there's no substitute for hard work, determination, and and just doing it despite the odds. Like right. And the other thing too, while you're saying a lot of because fishing is such a um recreational and being outdoors, there's so many millions of people that do it. I think there's sometimes a misconception when people watch stuff or see stuff online. Because it's almost like when someone's watching a a basketball game, they're like, I could have made that shot, whatever, because everyone's played basketball. A lot of times people will sit there and be like, dude, my boy caught a, you know, catfish twice as big as that. You guys suck all the stuff. It's like to actually be a professional and do something on camera. It's like, oh, well, I took my buddy fishing and put him on a 10 pound bass. It's like, okay, well, when you're a guide, you have to do that every day for years. And even when you don't feel good, when it's raining. Yes. It's like, I think there is a respect too, for when you actually start doing stuff, like you said, it, it's very humbling because it's like, like you said, there's a lot of people that see stuff online. Like that would be my only word of advice to people that listen to your podcast or anything is like, it's very easy to, and I used to do it when I'd watch people on TV, like not you guys, cause you guys would catch fish a lot of like all the time, but it's like, you'd watch something. You're like, man, I fish all the time. I could do this. It is a whole different game to be commenting or saying you could do something versus like Bill Dance doing something. That's why longevity I respect. It's like 17 years. I can't even fathom. It's like, if I'm, if I'm here 15 years from now saying that, Oh my God, I can't even tell you how happy I'd be. It's like, that is 
I think you gain a respect as you start to like try to do something. It's like 45 years build dance. It's like, I mean, it's, it's uncomprehendable as far as like your brain to be able to process the amount of work and things that went into that. So I think that's the biggest thing I would say is like, whether you're a hunting guide, a fishing guide, making videos, the respect that I have for people that have been doing it for a long time and stuff, it is more than I've ever knew was possible beforehand. You know what I mean? You're like, Oh my God, I, I have a new recognition of these people's lives, you know? Right on, man. Well, it's nice of you to say that. And, uh, and, uh, I feel the same way. Like, I mean, it's hard to even imagine the amount of work and, 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 and risk and other things that went into the careers of the people that we're talking about, but, uh, they've managed yeah. to do it and they're still doing it. Like they're still doing still. it. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> Um, but listen, man, tell everybody how, uh, how they can follow you, how they can see your show. We should have done this right at the beginning, but, uh, um, how does everybody follow you and watch your show? Yeah, just, um, on barcelsports.com, it's Barcel Outdoors, which is, you know, if you just Google that, it should come up because there's a lot of different things on Barcel, but Barcel Outdoors is basically the hub of everything, right? So we got the Instagram, it's just at Barcel Outdoors. Twitter, you can search Barcelona Outdoors. And then my personal stuff is actually from, this might not make sense to anyone in outdoors, but it's at Young Page Views because that was the music video I made when I, Dave is known as Davey Page Views, the founder of Barstool. So when I went to make, to get his attention, I made a music video called I'm Young Page Views. It was like supposed to be funny, like to try to make him like, I don't know, get his attention. So I was like, hey, I'm young you. Like I was trying to like say that. Never in a million years thought that I would be called that or anything, but that is my social media. It's just at young page. It's such a weird name to say, but that's where you're going to find all of my other stuff on Instagram, Twitter, I'm on TikTok, which who knows how long that, I don't know. I just started posting shark videos and it got people watching. So anywhere you can find it, that's where it is. And basically if you just message me or something, I, I love to talk fishing with people all the time. So that's the other thing too. That's cool about social media. It's not even just following. It's like, if you want to talk, I love to talk about sharks, about Florida keys, anything. So hit me up and I'd love to meet people, you know, that's right all. Right on. Well, that's awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I look forward to doing it again and uh, you know, we'll stay in touch and um, good luck with the rest of the season. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. That's it. We'll be back with another awesome guest next week and want to thank Ben Friedman for being our guest this week. Uh, go check out his show on Barstool Outdoors. That's what it's called. He gave you all the social media handles. And uh, until next week, we'll see you. You'd think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing. But as I've learned, no matter where I've been, Whitetails can be damn tricky. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. 
Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.